Welcome to Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023, which... By the way, on this very same day, August 2nd, 1962, that's when Loki actually made his debut in Marvel Comics. He made his first appearance in Journey into Mystery number 85. And when, when we first met Loki, he was trapped inside a tree. He'd been put there by the Asgardians and... Evidently, he makes a leaf drop while uh, Hemdel is walking by the tree, which caused Hemdel to shed a tear, and that's what frees Loki. And that's why we have this character today, you know. Uh, Honestly, be amazed, Jim. I mean, the exact same thing happened to me just a couple of weeks ago. I was stuck in a tree. Uh, I made a leaf fall. Somebody cried about it. Bingo, bango. I'm out free again. It's, it's more common Ow. than you would expect. <laughs> I, I, I learned so many things on this show. Okay. But again, you know, face it, Loki has become a favorite since 62. In fact, that certainly came home with the release yesterday of the season two trailer for the Loki limited series. And Disney was trumpeting today that just in the first 24 hours, it broke viewership records for the that subscription streaming service. Over 80 million online views. And not to belabor the obvious here, but I think one of the other reasons that Disney is trumpeting that a, a Marvel limited series, you know, people are really excited. They, they watch the trailer a lot is, boy, the numbers that have been coming in for the, I guess, series finale for Secret Invasion. Uh, not good. Not good. Do you, well, do you think the Loki trailers release had anything to do with the fact that Secret Invasion didn't light the world on fire? Did they suddenly kind of go, oh, no, it didn't go gangbusters and people aren't raving about it. Uh, what do we got cooking in the kitchen, guys? Can we can we release anything now? Did they do you think they pushed up that that trailer to make that happen at all? Well, I, I would have thought that if I didn't have the information that you found and shared with me earlier in the week, Aaron, which was that hot topic had a booth on the floor at San Diego Comic-Con mm -hmm. where they were hyping the Loki Season 2 merch that they'll be putting out there really shortly. In fact, what's interesting is if you go to Hot Topic online right now, you can order a lot of this stuff. And, and again, thanks for catching that because that just told me that when I look at the wave of merch that's accompanying this limited series arriving on October 6th, that this was something that Disney was assuming was going to be huge anyway. Right. And so, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think they're happy to have this in the can to get out there, especially given what happened with Secret Invasion. Well, I don't want to say I've been down on the MCU as of late, but I did mention, you know, that I, I was hard-pressed to remember that I had seen Guardians of the Galaxy 3 when I was talking with a friend mm -hmm. about it, because it just kind of is all mm -hmm. blurred together into a colorful mash of, of just stuff. And uh, when this trailer dropped, like, I was 
thoroughly rejuvenated in my excitement for the MCU. And, you know, I haven't had that vibe necessarily for Secret Invasion. I knew it was coming and, yeah, it'd be cool to see Nick Fury do a thing, but it wasn't it wasn't the end-all be-all. And so when you're kind of leaving a series going, yeah, it was okay. That's not a great place for anything in, in entertainment. No, you, you, you need to praise it or you hate it. Mm-hmm. That's usually about how it goes. And it's either, you know, it lives or dies. And in these instances where uh, Disney's not doing a series two of Secret Invasion, right? They're just doing what happens to fit their storytelling in the moment. So it's like it almost doesn't even matter if it failed because we're not going back to it. Hmm. it but uh, yeah, the Loki trailer, when I saw that, I did get thoroughly excited. And I went, okay, now this is what I want to see more of. Yeah. And then now, uh, toward that end, folks, we will talk in depth about this trail in the second half of today's show, uh, particularly who shows up front and center in the final moments of the trailer. But uh, but first, the news and news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Touring Plan's own travel agency. These obviously very knowledgeable folks can now help you book your very next trip to Walt Disney World, plus toss in a subscription to Touring Plan's for free. So if you're headed to Florida anytime soon, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. Aaron and I were pre-gaming just a few moments ago before we got started here, and we were talking about how there's not as much news largely on the heels of the continuing writer's strike and actor's strike. Though, Aaron, I don't know if you saw the story that broke just yesterday that evidently the producers are looking to sit down with the writers on Friday of this week. That would be August 4th. In fact, that's the day the show goes live. That said... The fact that we are 100 days now into the writer's strike, and I want to say coming up in a month since the actors went out, uh, this is having an impact. And and did you see the news about Sony changing up all, all of its release dates? Oh, there's that applause sound effect coming out of nowhere again. Yeah, no, I think it's a good move that they did that. I mean, there were obviously the, the Spider-Man you had mentioned uh, just wasn't going to happen on that release date. So the fact that, you know, that got pulled entirely off of the schedule, I thought was a very smart move there. Mm-hmm. So they can, you know, uh, see what's what's what in, in reality mm-hmm. and then actually set a date on the calendar that jives with that as opposed mm-hmm. to them chasing a, an unrealistic release date and everybody being rushed and working 30 hour days. And, you know, that's just crazy. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's all good news that they're moving stuff. And the thing that I was surprised the most by was the Craven getting pushed back like a whole year. Yeah. But there were certain moves that suggest confidence in project. I mean, for example, all right, Madam Web only being moved up by two days. That was originally supposed to open in theaters on February 16th. It's now being bumped up to, uh, it's a Wednesday opening now, but it's going to be on Valentine's Day, February 14th. On the other hand, Venom 3, supposed to be out in theaters in kind of now the what's considered the classic Venom spot, you know, the first week or so of October, so it can then do Halloween business. But they are now opting to drop that in the middle of July, summer blockbuster season. So that's kind of an interesting choice. But to circle to what you mentioned about Craven the Hunter, the fact that that was supposed to come out October 6th of this year. And to see that pushed all the way back to August 30th, I mean, that's 
that there's no way to describe August 30th as being in summer blockbuster country. I mean, that's literally almost Labor Day. That doesn't speak confidence in the studio. And more to the point, when you push a film that far back, there's only one reason, reshoots. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not the fact that it, it only got pushed that far back. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it really wasn't that far away to begin with mm-hmm. for its its initial release. I mean, yeah. uh, October 6th was not that far away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that had to be, you know, pretty much done. Almost had the bow on it, ready to yeah. ship it out the door and, and done. Mm-hmm. But they decided for whatever reason that it needed a lot more work. Yeah. And yeah. that's a good thing. Mm-hmm when they realize that what they're putting out isn't great. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want another Morbius. Yeah. And if that was what we were comparing the trailer to right off the bat of, oh, it looks like Morbius Part 2, just, mm-hmm. you know, a steaming pile, mm-hmm. then, yeah, I'm really happy that they that someone heard the outcries and went, oh, maybe we should uh, look at this again. You're not wrong there. Though, to circle back to what you were saying at the top, previously, uh, Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse had a locked-in release date of of March 29th of next year. And what's kind of interesting is that Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel that Sony was prepping, uh, which was originally supposed to be their big holiday release for for 2023, has just been pushed to another holiday now. It's going to open on the Easter weekend of 2024. Uh, but uh, you're not wrong about this sequel to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I mean, various stories about the hours people were working and, you know, the issues with the, the, the production of that film. If they take some more time and do it right rather than rushing to meet that release date. But I, I also, Aaron, it's important to note here that Sony is only going to pull that thing off the schedule for so long. I mean, given the amount of money that uh, the sequel to Enter the Spider-Verse has made so far, $379 million domestic, $303 million overseas, total uh, worldwide to date of $682 million, and that's $300 million more than the original Into the Spider-Verse made back in 2018. And you talk with the folks over at Sony Pictures Animation, the first one, Into the Spider-Verse, cost $90 million to make. Even with all of their production-related issues across the Spider-Verse, still only cost $100 million. And I know it's weird to say only cost $100 million, but when you consider that the typical Pixar project is $150 to $200 million, that means that you know when you're making $682 million, that's sweet, sweet profit right there you know and let let alone the you know toy sales and that sort of thing by the way we're also worth noting here the across the spider-verse is finally coming out on blu-ray on september 5th though given what happened with my art of book for into the spider-verse excuse me uh, across the spider-verse which by the way just showed up at the house yesterday a more than a month after it was initially supposed to. I mean, Amazon literally had it listed, and I don't know what the issue was. You know, in fact, I, it, it was so funny. Uh, there were a number of people on on social media who were making a joke to the effect of, "I didn't anticipate that I it, it would take till Beyond the Spider Verse came out for me to get my Across the Spider Verse art book." But that showed up, and but here's the kicker: it showed up on the exact same day 
as the Spider-Man No Way Home making a book, which just kind of intriguing that the two art of spider books for the, the most recent films wound up entering retail channels on the exact same day. It's just sort of like... wasn't the same publisher. Well, it was... Nope. Different... Nope. Wow. Different yeah. publishers. In fact, I'm looking now. One is Abrams, and the other one is uh, Marvel's own hardcover uh, hmm. folks. So, yeah, just kind of intriguing. Okay, we've been talking at length here about various sequels, whether it's, you know, No Way Home or Across the Spider-Verse, and... I enjoyed She-Hulk. I would love to see a, another limited series with that take on on the MCU, but I'm thinking giving what Titania Menzlani just said about Bob Iger. I do not think She-Hulk season two is going to happen. Did you see this quote? Was she giving him grief about something? Uh, yes. Okay, what, what was the flavor of grief that she was dishing out? This had to do about his comments uh, earlier in the month about the actors picking at kind of an inopportune time to strike, given you know what's going on with exhibition and Titania just laid into Bob. That that here's here's what she said. I think he's completely out of touch. Iger's completely out of touch with the workers who make his shows happen, who make people watch these shows, who bring viewers to him, and and his money. Having worked on a Disney show, I know where people fall through the cracks and where people are taken advantage of. And it's outrageous the amount of wealth that is not shared with the people who actually make the shows. That's crew, cast, writers. So I'm thinking, at the very least, she's off the corporate Christmas card list. Well, I mean, we I, I didn't really expect to see her again until we got more towards team-up land in mm. one of the upcoming Avengers-type things, because, I mean, they could pull anybody from any show or, or movie and pull them in as a secondary character. I just didn't expect to see her, because she was rather comedic, and, mm-hmm. and her, I guess, lens through the MCU was a little bit more... Deadpool like in the mm-hmm. in its hu- sense of humor and fourth wall breaking. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, I just kind of expected her to kind of get put on a back shelf until we got to an Avengers team up, they'd break her out, let her do a little bit and then wait 5 more years before because they've got so much stuff to do. And you know, if Bob Iger's like slow everything down, spend less money, it's just longer and longer before we get to uh, another season of something like that. Unfortunately, because I really did enjoy it. And interesting that you bring up Deadpool, because uh, did you see the news about Emma Corrin, the young lady who is an Emmy nominee for her work on The Crown? She's been cast as the villain or a villain in Deadpool 3. Yeah. And what was so funny about this is Emma knew nothing about the MCU. This interview uh, she did with the uh, Variety, and it's like, I knew nothing about the project, but classic Marvel, they wouldn't tell me anything about it. Absolutely nothing. Zilch. So I met with Sean Levy, and I was like, I don't know what this is about. And hands up, I'm not a Marvel person. I've watched Spider-Man and Black Panther. I was like, look, you're going to have to debrief me into this. It's such an intricate world. There's so much to it. 
all of the language and the Easter eggs and and yeah, how this person is related to that person who did this and, and that person came back and this person's dead. It's amazing. You know, I, I really understand why it means as much as it does to so many people. I mean, it's a phenomenon and I, I feel lucky to be part of it. And especially Deadpool, because I love the fact that it's self-aware and critical of its own inner workings. But when it comes to being a villain in Deadpool 3, she flat out said, I feel really excited playing a villain. I haven't done that. And it's an itch I want to scratch. Only problem with, with this itch is, remember, Deadpool had just started shooting when the actor strike started. And they've since been shut down. And mind you, Disney still has Deadpool 3 on its release schedule for May 3rd, 2024. But I think it was Drew, when we were talking over on on fine-tuning about this, that said one of the reasons that people are hopeful that the producers are going to come back to the, the, the table soon with an offer for both the writers and the, the actors is because this is dragged on long enough that this is now threatening the summer blockbusters for 2024. There will be nothing to put in the pipeline if they don't get this turned around soon. And one of the movies that will be going forward during this period is armor wars oh damn it see i was i was so hoping with with no no actors no budgets i was mm-hmm. hoping you're gonna say a new show featuring bob Iger and this penny whistle <laughs> where he'll just play it for an hour because we don't have anything else but okay uh, armor wars I, i'll be okay with that go ahead i'm sorry okay all right but what's kind of interesting about th- this whole thing and remember we we just had Don Cheadle, you know, roadie character who, for much of Secret Invasion, was a scroll masquerading as roadie, and then the final mo- moments. Should we be hammering on the klaxon here, dude? We're assuming oh, at this yeah. point. You yeah, know? I suppose I should probably hit it at least once for courtesy. Okay, courtesy All klaxon right, coming, folks. Okay, there we go. But roadie is revealed to have been a scroll for quite some time. And in fact, the gentleman who directed Secret Invasion, in fact, was just Mm. talking about how he was kind of terrified that he'd get all sorts of hate mail and death threats and that sort of thing for basically revealing that Rhodey could have been a scroll as long as Civil War back in, in 2014. What's interesting talking with folks at the company is that, well, this is what the Armor Wars movie is about. You have Rhodey stepping back into his life and he himself questioning what is real, what is fake. You know, did he say goodbye to Tony Stark on the battlefield in in Endgame? Uh, You know, it's supposedly this is being put out here as a question so that we will all go to Armor Wars and seek an answer. And I think what Marvel just had not anticipated was that people would have such a tepid response to Secret Invasion. If the whole notion was like, wow, we, we really drop a mystery here. You know, the effect of, you know, when did Rhodey become a scroll? What does he remember? And the fact that it's just gotten the reaction that it has. Yeah, I was just hoping that with the name Armor Wars, all I wanted was mm-hmm. uh, like maybe Riri Williams to get all suited mm-hmm. up 
and and maybe you know War Machine, uh, and someone stole Iron Man's armor after he died, and they had to go hunt him down and have a big old armor war. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, it's cool that Rhodey would have a character arc, right? This uh, is so okay. You've nailed. Yeah, it. so it's That's not like I'm against the idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. You you totally need that aspect of it, but I don't want it to be the only thing. I want high flying, falutin action. And like, especially since Secret Invasion seemed very ground level, mm-hmm. not a lot of super stuff happening. And unfortunately, when it did, it made me giggle because it, it looked like she had a baby Drax arm. But that's a different story. <laughs> I saw that picture online, by the way. I was yeah. just scrolling through Twitter and I saw that very image that I mentioned and I showed it to my wife and I told her what the scenario was in the show and I showed it to her and she just laughed. She's like, I don't care. That looks stupid. And I'm like, OK, so it's not just me. Your first reaction is to laugh at that. That's And I think, you know, if, if that's the case, then you just go, well, maybe that effect doesn't work for that character and we'll scrap the Drax arm and do something different. Give her the glowy, you know, Carol Danvers power arm. That looks cool. But anyway. No, I mean, look, you're not wrong. In fact, the interview with, with Ali Salem, the, the director, talked about when they went into shooting the battle between the Super Scrolls, I mean, they were literally working off of the series of storyboards that had been created. And, you know, the whole notion is like, okay, we got the live action elements we need for that. And, you know, you hand that off to post and you hope for the best. It's like, okay, that looks good as a drawing. Is the effects house that we hire to do that particular section of the film, are they going to be able to deliver the goods? And mm. in this case, I... I I think you are correct. That's a really bad shot. Now, Armor Wars was supposed to be a limited series just like Secret Invasion. However, September of last year, uh, a decision was made by Marvel Studios to the effect of, nope, this is going from being a limited series to a theatrical release. And what's kind of interesting in talking with folks at Marvel Studios is suggesting that they just at that point had the early cut of Secret Invasion in hand. And the notion of we're now going to play out Rhodey's story much like we did with Nick Fury, you know, stretching this out to four hours of storytelling. And what's kind of interesting is the folks at Marvel evidently looked at what shape Secret Invasion was in, and it's like, let's not do that again. Let's tell this in one concise two-hour-long theatrical release. So I, I'm fascinated by that. Maybe Secret Invasion didn't work as well as we thought, so maybe if we're, you know, this is a story we, we, we need to move along, be a little faster, a little more concise. Well, I'm, I'm just kind of surprised by that, because, like, when we have Echo, that's going to be all dropped at once. And it's like, it's just the different decisions that they make when they have something that's not as hot as they were intending it to be. Mm-hmm. And in this case, if they looked at an earlier rough cut of Secret Invasion and they realized it wasn't clicking as much as they wanted it to, mm-hmm. that leads them to make Armor Wars a two-hour movie. But then when they get to Echo and it's not clicking, they go, you know what? We'll just drop all of this all in one one shot. So, I mean, they're they're making different decisions based on the same like outcome of this isn't the, the hottest thing we want it to be. So I'm kind of wondering, is this is there a learning curve that they're experiencing that we're not aware of yet? Or are they just trying different things to test how it all works? Because, I mean, 
Streaming's relatively new. Yeah, I think the one thing you're forgetting here is Samuel L. Jackson, who you want to uh, go out and help promote under normal circumstances, not with a, uh, a writers and an actor's strike, but you want a, a Samuel L. Jackson to go out and promote the Marvels come this November. And, you know, the very thing you were talking about, about, oh, this probably isn't as good as we want, but we don't, we don't want to tick off Sam. And remember, this was originally supposed to click straight into the Marvels. So, yep. you know, it's just the whole notion of if we dump this, that suggests then we, we don't have confidence in Marvel. So there were a number of agendas being serviced here. And so when they look at the early cut, were they not as enthusiastic as they hoped, but at the same time, they didn't have a whole lot of options. Right. Okay. So we were talking about actors doing Marvel projects and Seth Rogen has been out this past week doing a promotion for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which he wrote and, you know, helped produce and that sort of thing. And he got asked, would he ever take on a Marvel or a DC project. And he responded that he wouldn't mostly honestly be because of fear, you know, that he and his writing partner, we have a very specific way that we work, uh, me and Evan Goldberg. Uh, we've been writing partners for 20 years at this point, And it's <laughs> what's so funny. It probably involves more marijuana than Marvel is comfortable with. Well, <laughs> you know, that that. I mean, he's got his own smoking company, for yeah. crying out loud. So uh, yeah, does, I can see that. It does, though. <laughs> though he, he was just talking about how he does not do edibles because you can't turn off an edible. But yeah, oh, okay. but he was talking about, look, there's a lot of Marvel things that I love, it's, it's, but it's mostly a fear of how would we, and he's talking, he and Evan, plug into the system they have in place, which seems like a very good system and a system that serves them well. But is it, you know, is it a system that we, you know, he and Evan would get frustrated by? And that's what was fun for them about Meet Mayhem is we're the producers of this. So he dictated the system. And when it comes to these big franchisee things, that process works for them. That's fine. But when it comes to what we do, we're control freaks. Yeah, I can understand that. It's the same way, like, I would love to see Edgar Wright, you know, direct for Marvel after yeah. that whole Ant-Man debacle went down. It's just like, I, I understand why it won't happen, yeah. but boy, would I still love to see it happen. No, 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 definitely, definitely. And, and speaking of control, based on that trailer, it looks like Loki has little or no control come season two of this limited series. And But we'll discuss that in detail after this break. I wanted to take uh, a moment to acknowledge the loss of a performer a lot of us loved and enjoyed his work for years. And, and of course, that's Paul Rubens, uh, Pee Wee Herman, who passed away at the age of 70 uh, earlier this week after a six-year battle with cancer. And I know Paul did not make any Marvel movies, but he is in... Batman Returns. Um, he's he's actually Oswald Cobblepot's dad. And what was genuinely sweet this week was uh, to watch Tim Burton reach out and talk about how, you know, I wouldn't have had the career that I have if Paul Rubens hadn't taken a chance on me when it came to Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And he did actually play a superhero at one point. Have you ever seen Mystery Men from 1999? 
Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, so so you you know the it, spleen's superpower, which apparently he also was. I didn't know this. He was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he I guess reprised his character recently in what we do in the shadows. Yes, he did. But again, okay. uh, just uh, to be, be clear here, he was in the original Buffy theatrical release, not the series. But yeah. Ah, okay. But yeah, okay. it was it was kind of sweet to see him show up at sort of a, a vampire congress. It's like, hey, that character's back. Right, yeah. But it's such a sad loss, and he was such a huge talent. So I want to extend our condolences to the friends and family of Paul and... There's a lot of great work, a lot of stuff we'll all enjoy for years yet to come, but it's always sad to lose somebody like that. So, okay. So, again, folks, we are about to talk about the trailer for Loki Season 2, which will be debuting on Disney Plus on October 6th of this year. So, uh, Aaron, have added, what caught your attention? What, what leaped out at you? Well, the very first thing... Uh, it, it's terribly funny, but I noticed the herky-jerky motion mm -hmm. as he slipped in and out of the time stream, I guess is what they're calling that mm -hmm. that thing. Time slipping, but, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was, I want to say, maybe a month ago mm -hmm. that I had posted on the Twitters a, image, or a video mm -hmm. of them shooting Loki out on the street somewhere. Mm -hmm. And Tom Hiddleston was just kind of wildly, manically jerking about. Oh, wow. And we were like, I wonder what the heck that's all about. Okay, okay. And now when I, and that actual scene with, with the proper background is in the trailer mm -hmm. from, from that shot that I posted. Mm -hmm. So I was able to actually go, that is exactly the moment that I was wondering about. Wow. And now I know. Okay. But the, the visual effects of that mm -hmm. look really interesting. It's it's new. It's different. I don't know how it applies to the story at all. Mm -hmm. But uh, that right there is the first thing that, that says, oh, here's a new thing. And I can't wait to play with that toy for a bit. See what that's about. Well, I have to admit the introductory scene where, where Kei Hyun Kwan, the gentleman who took home the Oscar earlier this year for everything, every, everywhere, all at once. Mm -hmm. Short round for those of you who are Indiana Jones fans. I just, I loved how matter of fact he was and Owen Wilson were, you know, and again, you know, with the, the very, th the effect you were describing, the stomatic, you know, he just disappears and it's like, oh, that's time slipping. Can you fix that? No. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was like, and we're back, you know, just because that, yeah. that's what I loved about the first season of Loki, the limited series, just how matter of fact the TVA was about how weird that, <laughs> you know. But you know, with that rapid delivery, it almost has an Abbott and Costello vibe to it. Mm. That patter back and forth, mm. it's rapid fire. And it's like, it's almost hard to keep up with it, but every word of it's funny, mm -hmm. you know? It, well, that's illegal. Yeah, but you just saw him do it. Yeah, I did. Can you fix it? No, I can't. You know what I mean? It's just, it's quick, yeah. but it's good. It's great. And yeah, I really get a, like a Abbott and Costello kind of vaudeville vibe out of yeah. uh, that, that writing stuff. No, 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 you're not wrong. And I, I, I have to admit, what, what I also enjoyed, there was a, a later scene in that same trailer where evidently Owen Wilson's character, uh, Mobius, is being suited up to go inspect the time stream in a deep sea diver slash oh, yeah. <laughs> astronaut suit. And the whole notion, is this cracked? And, and just slapping the piece of gorilla tape on it, you're fine. Go ahead. You know, yep. that's just that matter of factness of 
this totally bizarre office space that, you know, mm-hmm. all of these adventures kind of spin out from. But at the same time, I mean, face it, a trailer is very much like a mosaic. And when you look at the the images, the little story threads and, and that sort of thing, whether it's um, Sylvie in a 1970s McDonald's outfit or uh, Miss Minutes as you know, King Kong sort of lurking. Yeah, was she like, yeah, doing a Godzilla down the street chasing people? Was that what we were getting out of that? I honestly don't know. I mean, that's the beauty of this trailer. It did exactly what a trailer is supposed to do. It entertained, it informed, but it left you with more questions than answers. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, I got to watch. I got to watch. No, it, it looks terribly fun. Yeah. It really does. But let's now talk about how it ends with Jonathan Major's character. Uh, now, mind you, evidently the Kang variant that we meet in this thing is a Victor Timely, who, uh, let's remember, uh, from the post credit scene in Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania, we already knew this was coming over uh, the hill, but the fact that when they're putting together the images and given Mr. Major's troubles, which, mm-hmm. by the way, the Rolling Stone just recently published a story to the effect of Jonathan Major's extreme abuse allegedly went back nearly a decade. So it's... Oof, that's not good. That's not good. But the fact that it's like this story revolves around this character and this is where we leave you and this is one of the big reasons you need to come back here to watch this so no i was happy to see that they you know didn't completely just obliterate Mm. any reference to his character out of fear of what his public persona may Mm -hmm. you know be at the moment Mm -hmm. um because he is an important character i mean if you're going to get to the kang dynasty guess what the the guy's going to have to show up yeah from time to time no this is that's whatever yeah that's what everybody signed on for Mm -hmm. and so i'm thankful that they didn't yeah completely just get rid of him from the trailer that he still has a presence Mm -hmm. and when it comes down to it you have to at some point say he who has no sin cast that first stone yeah i I mean it's not you know abusive relationships are not good to begin with Mm -hmm. so you know we're not going to say oh it's okay Mm -hmm. nothing stupid like that no but a a human can be rehabilitated they can go to therapy they can learn to to be better than what they are today Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's it's i think that instant of like i i hope that's what we get out of it eventually Mm -hmm. is he ends up becoming a better human Mm -hmm. but after that marvel cannot just make him not exist no, no, I get that. I get that. But we've talked in earlier shows about how the marketing for, you know, Quantum Mania was changed. And the notion of, you know, here's this project coming now, which, as you mentioned, is a crucial stepping stone for Kang Dynasty and beyond that, Secret Wars, which is still the big Megilla coming over the hill. I don't know. I was happy to see it. I'm still kind of intrigued to see where this goes from here. But face it, people are complicated. And in fact, I've been talking with folks just recently, for example, about John Lasseter, animation pioneer and did amazing things to make CG as a media. And but now has this complicated legacy of employees at that animation studio talking about inappropriate touching or... And it's just one of these things where 
what is it they say that it, you know death is the ultimate disinfectant? It's always fascinating for me to watch controversial figures who pass away, and then it's like, oh, cool, now we can you know use their or, or talk about them and their histories without feeling guilty about it because they're not alive to get mad. Yeah, that- <laughs> you know, I mean, it just you it, it just in the past twenty four hours to watch the number of folks who. You know, want to talk about Paul Rubens and and Pee Wee Herman and and but at the same time, what would come up also was well, yeah, that you know he was was caught in that adult theater masturbating, and then there was I want to say in two thousand two there were the false allegations about child porn and that sort of thing. But it's just sort of like we don't want to talk about that anymore. We just want to talk right. about how much we enjoy. Pee-wee, how much he meant to us as when we were kids or how much we appreciated him as adults. You know, uh, Scott Thompson from The Kids in the Hall. I uh, saw this. Please tell this story. Please tell that story. <laughs> he, he had tweeted out that he had met Paul Rubens many, many years ago, and yep. it was because of the incident in the theater yep. where uh, Paul's career took a, a southward turn. Mm-hmm. And so he had reached out to Scott Thompson basically saying, well, that happened, and my career can't get any worse, so we can be friends. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> and so they ended up becoming very good friends yeah, over the years. I mean, just I've been so enjoying the the folks who have reached out and talked about, you know, that guy. He never forgot a birthday, and uh, all the things he did to to make sure the people in his life knew that he appreciated them. Mm-hmm. I guess, in a weird sort of way, I'm I'm hoping for. The same thing with Jonathan Majors, that at some point in the future we will be talking about, oh, you know, I loved his work. And yeah, there was a weird glitch in the middle of his career. But boy, you know, he went on to do some great stuff. So here's hoping anyway. Anyway, we were just talking about marketing of Loki season two. And of course, if you really want to know more about advertising, you really cannot go wrong with uh, you know, heading over to Patreon and signing up for 32nd Street, which is uh, Aaron's outside project, which shines a spotlight on Madison Avenue. And you've got a really timely topic coming up this week, right? Yeah, we uh, discuss artificial intelligence. And so what I had done is I went to a website that creates artificial intelligence commercials. And so I plugged in a bunch of parameters for Coca-Cola and I came up with a bunch of commercials and I, I played them for both Ron and our audience. And, and you get to guess, was this created by AI or is this a real Coke commercial? And then we talk about the ways that you can very obviously tell when it's AI. And, uh, and then we do uh, artificially, uh, artificial intelligence created music as well on the second half of the show. And then I flip like a coin and go from, I would never use that to, oh, I would use this every day. Hmm. So, yeah, danger. I could put people out of work by making the wrong choice and using artificially, intelligently created stuff that didn't need a a musician to write it or a a composer to create it or a producer to put it together. I just click on a button and within five seconds, Mm -hmm. I have 100 options. It's hard to beat against that. It is hard to beat against that. And at the same time, I mean, just today, for example... There was a story out there where using artificial intelligence, for example, it allows you to be 80% more accurate when it comes to diagnosing breast cancer. And, and it's one of these things where it's like, okay, 
So I always get a little concerned when we start to pick and choose when it comes to science. It's like we can use it for this, but not for that. So no, no, again, uh, long story short, very much, you know, looking forward to this episode, especially of of 32nd Street. But at the same time, I also, you know, enjoy just what Aaron has to, to, to share with the world anyway. And speaking of which, where are we on the, 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 the socials these days? Are, are we tweeting? Are we Xing? What are we doing? Well, I don't like saying that I'm on X because mm-hmm. back in the day, that used to mean that you were taking ecstasy. Uh, and I just want to steer away from that. That's a bad message for the kids. So okay. I'm just going to say I'm on Twitter okay. and we're going to leave it at that. Okay. And uh, if you want, you can find me at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. And by the way, Jim, while we've been recording just in this last hour, mm-hmm. uh, I got a message from listener uh, Chris Jesp1. Mm-hmm. And he said it's a great Spider-Man No Way Home Day, mm-hmm. about a year late, but he's not complaining because an art of book, mm-hmm. which you just mentioned earlier in the I show, mm-hmm. uh, he, he got that today, along with the Lego set that we talked about on an earlier show, yeah. the uh, Statue of Liberty bust, and it comes with all the villains and all the extra Spider-Mans and all that. So yeah, he's he's got a spider-full day today, oh, so it sounds like a good time. Dad. That's very cool. Okay. Yeah, thanks uh, for sharing, Chris. Yeah. And and again, you know, this is why I I like Twitter. I don't want it to go away. You know, that that very same uh, type of sharing. But anyway, uh, speaking of Twitter, X, whatever, you can find uh, me there. Likewise, over on Instagram as Jim Hill Media. Also on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. I uh, also want to remind you folks that we do have a couple other podcasts here you might want to check out. We, of course, have Disney Dish, which I do with Len Testa. Uh, we likewise have Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor, who I would be remiss if I did not mention that he's got his wonderful Light the Fuse, which he does with Charles Hood, which just recently has become the official Mission Impossible podcast. Uh, thank you, Paramount. And then... Brian Gaughan and I will be working on a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm. So if you folks could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also 32nd Street. That would be cool. And if you really, really, really like what you heard here tonight, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool as well. All right. Anyway, folks, thanks for listening, and we will be back soon.